Avatar The Last Airbender blew expectations out of the water, and it wasn't too long after its finale that Nickelodeon would follow it up with a sequel series. But even with stunning art and animation, impeccable voice acting, and the same creative team backing it, this series had big shoes to fill. Over its lifetime, it would divide fans, but there's no denying it was as groundbreaking a series as its predecessor. Join us on this episode of Script to Screen as we head back to the world of Avatar to discuss the first season of The Legend of Korra. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Christopher Kitchen. I am one of the co-hosts of Script or Screen. Uh, I am alongside the long... The long... You're not long. <laughs> I was going to say, the, the long-standing other co-host. I mean, I'm six feet. I'm a little long, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's your wingspan, bro? Hello, I'm Zach Stratton. <laughs> <laughs> resident resident long man of scripture screen um we're back again for another episode zach how are you doing today i'm doing pretty good how about you dude i'm tired man i i am i'm exhausted let me yeah. tell you that much and it's not due to the show it's not due to anything outside of just the world around us uh, we have debates going on. We have new shows <laughs> going on. We have movies being postponed. Movie theaters closing till the end of time. Um, life is just really giving us a good kick in the ass right now. Bro, I am feeling it. But you know, it's good that when uh, when life's throwing all these things at you, that sometimes you can just you can just go to Netflix and you can find a series and kind of just let yourself just kind of get lost in that series and enjoy it um and and i think uh we we did that and we have a show uh of that variety that we we felt like we wanted to talk about you know i really thought you were gonna say it's good that you take all things and then you just make lemonade and i'm like what the hell are you talking (laughs) yeah no that's uh yeah that's that's totally what i was going for I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what our lemonade is, though. It's this podcast. It's script or screen, because thankfully, um, our viewership, uh, there was a sudden spike, actually, uh, two weeks ago in the release of our Avatar The Last Airbender episode. Oh, um, yeah. Beca- because apparently that's a very topical series. Um, it, I think I think it's just, it's got such a uh, devout fan base that, um, you know, it's, it's something just, people... They, they just, they can't get enough of their content. You know, you know, it's it's one of those shows where um, I think, as we'll as we'll get into it, the show we're about to discuss um, can be kind of divisive at times, depending on who you ask. But I don't know too many people who look at the original Avatar series and say, "No, you know, God, this show's not good or that part's not good." Everyone kind of agrees. It's 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 just really good. Everyone agrees that the Great Divide is the greatest episode ever known to man. I know it's my so, favorite episode. Which is fantastic, really, because this episode of Scripture Screen is all about the Great Divide and why it's awesome. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Great Divider Screen. You, I feel like that joke is getting very played out now. I feel you like there's what? a certain amount of time that we've used you know, that. Hey, you know what got played out is uh, the this series we were, were going to be talking about on my uh, Netflix queue. So That's true. I, I, <laughs> we're I talking... Suppose... We're talking the Legend of Korra. That is true. We're t- and and 
you know, as opposed to our, our two-hour lengthy episode uh, of Avatar The Last Airbender and it's all of its parts, uh, we are condensing it to just the first book, uh, Book Air, if you will, the first yes. season of, of The Legend of Korra, uh, originally intended to be uh, a standalone series in itself and a standalone season in itself. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a, uh, I guess, like a, what you might call a television event. Or a limited series, if you will. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that that all fits kind of good. So I feel like what what a better place to begin than the beginning. What is it? It's the year is 2008. I'm setting the stage here, guys. Uh, Avatar just ends. People are happy. People are sad. Um, you know, a really great show just finally ended. Uh, you know, but I don't think it overstated its welcome or anything. If anything, some would argue that it, it kind of ended too soon. Um, uh, I think I think it ended right right where it needed to end. Yeah, but we were all lingering, wanting oh, sure. more. We I, I we think... at least we wanted something that wasn't just a regular comic book adaptation or something else, which is great with all these expanded universes and everything that they want to build upon these franchises. Well, actually, I will say <laughs> it's Go funny you say it. that we did get expand in a further expansion onto that story of the original avatar series in the form of the yeah. comics yeah which i have not read um but as i understand it from the uh from the people i know who have read him uh and appreciate the series for what it is say they're not they're not very good so right. that's okay um, yeah i don't know i i feel like uh, i i didn't really need those in my life, you know, or I didn't really want them to kind of exist. I'd rather them put you know, a lot of the stories that they did, I guess, continue to tell there. You don't really need those. It's not that you don't. It's just it's it's pure fan service and things of the sort. But, you um, know, and, and I could be really like crapping on people's dreams and saying, like, how dare you? Um, <laughs> but at the same time, like, I didn't I didn't really care about them. But I wanted but you know, something serious. But yeah. And, you know, what what kind of would have been the best choice and the choice they made uh was taking this world this really fun imaginative playground that they created and telling a new story in it i agree i feel like the kind of culmination uh of of these kind of um well i guess of the entire universe and everything they just kind of expanded like you said they expanded on everything and created the legend of uh i was gonna say the legend of scora the legend of uh Cora, excuse my French, um, and then just kind of you know, uh, it was kind of anthology, right? Anthology like, yeah, I mean, right? Was... They they created a new avatar, a new kind of era. They advanced us seventy years into the future, uh, into this uh, industrial revolution. Era. I would say I would say it's like the it's the Roaring Twenties. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, the Roaring Twenties analog in whatever year the avatar, because I know. Uh, to to I'm not super nerdy in the Avatar: The Last Airbender like expanded universe, but I do know I think the timeline is basically X amount of years before or after the uh, it, Air it, Nomad genocide. So I I don't I remember how in the last episode of Avatar we talked we related it to Star Wars quite a bit. Yeah, and <laughs> something about the Star Wars timeline I've always loved is that. They'll say like, "Oh, this was uh, twenty years before the Battle of Yavin." Right, like, right, right. Oh. Which is like the end of the first movie, the original yeah. movie, I should say. Yeah. So I just like that. That's like the the pinpoint in the timeline, right? Yeah. So yeah. Avatar has that thing. So this this series takes place. I what I'm guessing is if 
the math checks out is 170 years after the Air Nomad genocide. Okay. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it opens up a brand new cast of characters, uh, new heroes, new villains, um, new animal companions. While, while still respecting the old, though, you know? Oh, still respecting the old. And here's the thing. Here's what's great. Uh, as uh, we may get into in a future episode, if you even if you don't like later parts of a series... Uh, you can still fall back on the earlier parts that that make you happy. Um, you know, maybe one day when we discuss future parts of a series that we might be discussing right now, uh, you know, there might be stuff that we don't like, but it doesn't detract from the earlier parts or the parts after the parts you didn't like still being good. Um, so for the people who I know, there's some people that when they said, "Oh, it's gonna be." A new avatar. It's gonna be a a girl this time. It's gonna be uh uh. We're gonna have this type of character. We're gonna have that type of character. It wasn't immediately met with like a universal um. You Zach, know, this is you giving a disclaimer so that people don't hate our opinions. <laughs> well, but, yeah, uh, there are our opinions, uh, but I'm just gonna say, listen, I know because this this series, the Avatar series, the Avatar franchise, whatever you want to call it, uh, the fandom included, the, the fandom, they are some of the most passionate fans you will ever encounter. And I don't want to come across like I am going to crap all over their dreams because. Uh, I really like because Avatar. The, the the time will come when you do. Time will come when I do. It won't be it it won't be severe, at least not in this episode. But um and I'll say overall, I really do like Legend of Korra a lot. Um I think mm-hmm. there's a lot to enjoy in this series. Um it I think, you know, when you hold it up to the last airbender, it definitely is not as good, but that's still saying like Hey, your really good show is blasphemy. <laughs> I think it's good for different reasons. Sure, no, I mean it's good for different reasons. I think it it has some a few a few things. Well, you know, we'll talk about it. We're gonna get into it. Um, but you know yeah. what's not you know what's not bad about this show? What is the cast? Right. So I know the last time we talked about star studded cast, but I'm not compared to any of these big ball players. There, you know. there are some there are some heavy hitters here. Okay, let's go down the list. So uh we got we got Janet Varney as Cora. Okay. Uh you know, she she's the heart and soul of the series, as the name would imply, and um she she really you know, she brings a lot of character to that voice. Uh David Faustino as Mako, the character named for uh the uh, His love voice of actor. sharks. <laughs> yes, oh, for no, not sharks. Him. For his uh, his favorite Yu-Gi-Oh character, um, no, for Mako Iwamatsu, who voiced Uncle Iroh in the original right. series, uh, PJ Byrne as Bo Lin. Can, can I say something uh, about PJ then, Byrne? Is that I, I really yes. like him in his role in uh, Wolf of Wall Street as a Rugrat. I'm trying to remember, remember him. He, he he was like the facilitator between Jordan Belfort and um, the Swiss uh, banker. He's the guy with like the toupee okay. on his head. Okay, yeah. okay. I, I I absolutely loved his role in in, in Wolf of Wall Street. Nice, nice. Uh, then we come to the real heavy hitter. I think of this cast. 
J.K. Simmons as the one Tenzin. and only J. Jonah Jameson himself. J. Jonah Jameson, Mr. John Whiplash himself. Tenzin wanted photos of Spider-Man on his desk yesterday. And you know what's great is that like he doesn't like, he he plays it like there are times when he plays a character and times when he plays a real person. And you would think as an animated show, this is a time when he is going to be more of a character, but he really comes across as more of a person in this. Can I say something, too, is that, you know, you almost, it's not that you forget that J.K. Simmons was Tenzin, but every time I realize, like, I watch these, I don't I don't see or hear him at all, like, or at least his person. I, what I do is, I don't know, I feel like he's just a such a great actor, right? Um, that he has that level of... Uh, you know, he can provide that kind of performance to any character he kind of goes in. I mean, it helps that you don't see his face, obviously. Yeah. Well, right? I, I would say they kind of made would, him. Yeah, would, he looks I, like J.K. Simmons. A bit, right. But it's like, I don't think I realized it was J.K. Simmons until my viewing of uh, Korra this last summer. Um, when it uh, I, Right before it aired on Netflix, um, I actually watched it. I rented the entire um, series on Amazon Prime or something. I think it was like what the month of June, and okay. it was then that I realized, like, oh my god, that's that voice sounds super <laughs> familiar, you know. And then you look it up, and and there he was, lo and behold. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, but moving on down the list, this is a cool one. Uh, Seychelles Gabriel as uh, Asami Sato. Uh, this is the actress who played Yue, Princess Yue in the Shyamalan Last Airbender movie. Well, so did you this look is, at that full this circle. Is, yeah, like you know, we're getting someone who was in an abomination of an adaptation to becoming honestly one of the best characters of this series, at least for me. Yeah. Um, Mindy Sterling as Lynn Beifong, Kiernan Shipka of, uh, Mad Men and, um, Sabrina. I was going to say she's in Sabrina right now. She was actually in a horror movie. I really liked, I think it was called, uh, what was called the black coats daughter. Really, okay. really sinister smile that that actress has. That's or that's actor. another that's another uh, role, kind of like you said with J.K. Simmons, where I I knew about Kiernan Shipka from watching Mad Men for a long time, and yeah. when I first watched Korra, um, maybe not the first time I watched Korra, but rewatching it fairly recently, and it's without really kind of putting two and two together of who the voice is, mm. I was you know you don't really notice it, but then as soon as I know it's her. I go, oh no, that's that's absolutely her voice. When did uh, Mad Men air? Its first time. When did? What was its run? Uh, God, I let's see. Oh, here we go. Typing away. <laughs> um, this just in. 2000, Zach is checking from 2007 to 2015, and I mean, at the beginning of the series, she was a very, very young child. Okay, so well, all right. So then, then she was. Doing the voice work for this during Cora's um, air on TV. Okay, so yeah. I, I would say she was still kind of coming up because I I don't think actually that's a lie. I feel like Sabrina, though I feel like it's probably her biggest project she's done right now. Oh, for sure. Um, right now she's the face yeah, she, of that. She actually I think they just canceled it too. Now that I think about Wait. it, I think I think that well I, I, it's due to COVID and, and money and all this stuff. But they're getting one more season and then it's done. Well, you know. That's how it is. But, you know, I guess for this first season, uh, she plays Janora, who is um, Tenzin's daughter. She doesn't mm-hmm. have so much of a major role this season. She's kind of a background character. But as we move forward, she kind of she crops up as being a lot more significant to the to the she story. kind of steals the show. She she has she has some moments. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then let's see. We got 
D. Bradley Baker. He plays uh, uh, Councilman Tarlock and just a bunch of animals. I mean, if you know D. Bradley Baker and like the voice acting animation community, he's everywhere. He's he's all the clone troopers in Star Wars Clone Wars. And also, I guess he plays, uh, what's his name? Rex in Star Wars Rebels. Not to mention yeah. he's the infamous number four from Kids Next Door. Just a, a bunch of cartoons. He's, he's he is he's really, in a lot of stuff. He's, he's uh, yeah, he's renowned. He he voices like he in in this series. I mean, like I said, he's Tarlock. He's Pabu. He's Naga. I was yeah, I was gonna say he is Naga, isn't he? Yeah. Um. Then we get into uh, this is the last couple of names you have on here. Steve Bloom. Freaking Steve Bloom. Spike Spiegel. You know, like. One of the one of the coolest voice actors I think in in business in the business today. I've had the pleasure of meeting him. He's a really nice dude. I know. Um, he said my name in the video you guys sent me. <laughs> that was pretty um, cool. Yeah. So it was you know uh, very cool. He does a fantastic job as the the antagonist for for this season. Um, and then we just have like these smaller roles. Rami Malek, before he was really, before he had taken off, before he was Academy Award winner, Rami Malek. Yeah, I mean, this I I don't know if this is what was uh, when Mr. Robot was going on. Yeah, I, um, I believe so. Mr. Robot was probably in its earlier seasons. Mr. Robot, I can tell you, I think he won an Emmy for Mr. Robot as well. So actually, Mr. Robot started in uh, 2015. It looks like. Oh, okay. So this is before Mr. Robot. I mean, I knew him back from like you know, uh, not the Band of Brothers, uh, the Pacific. I was he, gonna say. I think I first saw him in um, Night at the Museum. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, then we get uh, Daniel Day Kim as Hiroshi Sato, Maria Bamford as Pema, who's uh, Tenzin's wife. Maria Bamford, hilarious comedian. Um, so. All around, we have like a great kind of cast of characters. A lot of these people are more known, I feel like, than the last cast. Yeah, at least, at least, um, I would say certain see certain actors in the original, like Dante Basco or Mark Hamill, obviously are like mm. had had big careers before and after. Um, Dante Basco actually he makes he shows up in this seri- in this series too. Um, As well, yeah. But uh, but yeah, as for like the main the main tight knit group that we see episode to episode, uh, yeah, this one's definitely has a lot a lot more uh, you know big uh, names attached to it. Yeah, well, I mean, which is a great change. You know, it also shows that like I guess they kind of have the budget to support these kinds of names versus like not getting complete unknowns. Um, which I, you know, like we said, the, the original cast of Avatar is something they were unknowns, but now the show has kind of. It, it was able to step up its game due to the success of the original show. I think it probably also. Nice. I think it probably also helped because the, it was supposed to be just this one-off season. So looking right. at someone like J.K. Simmons or uh, who's in know. almost every episode. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Where where you go? Okay, well, if you're coming in for one season, that's not you know you know it's that's a that's a pretty okay you know easy contract I'd imagine yeah. to to seal. Um, but uh, but you know they brought everyone back for all the subsequent seasons. Um, uh, I think that's uh, speaking of the seasons. I think that's the only thing that really that if if I have any issues with the Legend of Korra, um, I think it stems from that idea that when the original series came out, you had three seasons. It was all basically planned from the get go. The story would 
go would be the same story across the three seasons. This one, it was, we'll give you one season, and then mm-hmm. we'll give you another season, and then we'll mm-hmm. renew you for two seasons after that. And so, for the creators, they had to start and end a entire story in six hours and then do it again, knowing that, okay, this is probably the end of the series, but then they were renewed again. Um, so I think sometimes uh, some of the issues that have come from this series, at least, again, for me, personal opinion, but I think some of the ser- uh, issues I have come from problems that arose from this different structure um, where certain seasons had to have these, like, very world-shattering, you know, heavy impact moments that don't always go where, you know, the way they're supposed to go. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, You know what? I I will say that, though that's probably, like, a a conversation that we can kind of have, like, as we get into mm -hmm. uh, the other seasons and everything like that. Uh, It is important to know that, you know, this one... From start to finish, however, I feel like it's probably one of the stronger ones. Oh yes. um, yeah, with yeah. I think, yeah. If uh, okay, uh, you know, I, I think you know, not to beat around the bush, my my big issue with the series, and again, I say big, it's kind of an overstatement. Uh, my issue with the series is mainly in season two, uh, so we won't really we won't get into that right now. I think season Much. one, yeah, yeah. See, I think season, uh, season one, one is pretty solid. I mean, I would say so, and I I don't really personally have much issues with some of the other seasons. Um, in fact, I feel like I've grown to like Cora even more upon these these last two viewings that I've done. I agree. Of it. I agree. Um, but you know, uh, shows are have issues where they do, and and they don't where they don't. Um, I did want to kind of give a a brief synopsis of the show for the uninitiated. Oh, sure. As yes. we tend to like to promote these shows uh, and also kind of gauge people's interest. Uh, obviously, spoilers the, ahead. Hit them with the uh, with the synopsis. So, this is uh, The Legend of Korra, Book 1, Air. Uh, it follows 17-year-old Korra from the Southern Water Tribe and the successor of Avatar Aang from the preceding series, Avatar The Last Airbender. As she travels to the metropolis of Republic City to learn airbending and face an anti-bender revolutionary group, the Equalists, led by the masked Amon. Um, wow, that's actually a very short synopsis. Thank you, Wikipedia. I was trying to defend my use of Wikipedia as a source the other day. Somebody, uh, they were not a fan, but I said, hey, listen, man, I don't like you. Wikipedia, <laughs> uh, it's whatever. It's, it's, they've stepped all, up their game. They've stepped up every, their game. Everything, everything has sources, uh, in there. You can always go. I always, I remember in, in school, the teacher said, well, you can't use Wikipedia as a source for your essays, but Wikipedia always keeps their sources at the bottom. So that's how you can get them. Listen, Grandpa, that happened a long time ago, because now they let that happen. Listen, Sonny. Um, <laughs> uh, but, hey, you know, uh, for all the naysaying I've been making of Korra, uh, which I'm sure I will get tons of hate on, but uh, you know where Korra doesn't come up short uh, compared to the original series is the animation. Oh, just the overall quality of everything, man. This Like, like- holy crap this show looks amazing talk From- about a step up i mean i mean let's start like to begin with in its broadcast format you know how i'm a big fan of broadcast formats and I, aspect you ratios talk about it all the time everybody knows that if i were to get some tattoos on like my knuckles <laughs> it would be like 16 by 9 
and like 1080p or like 4K or whatever, this show was broadcasted in 1080i, 16 by 9 versus the original series, which was 4 by th- 4 by 3, which is box lettering. To those who, who can't picture it or understand the words coming out of my mouth, when something is 16 by 9, it means it is widescreen, looks like a rectangle, it'll fill up your television, versus 4 by 3, which is square, it's box-shaped, it'll fill up uh, you know, the middle section of your television and then leave bars on the left and right sides. It's annoying. Well, I mean, it's kind of annoying, but then, you know, it's also, uh, it happened because of the times, right? Broadcast right. television uh, didn't update to widescreen uh, HD 4K TVs until uh, later in the 2010s. and Or I guess in starting around 2010 is when it started becoming implemented in most stations. Uh, especially for cartoons. Um, but that, and then, yeah, I mean, come on, the animation also succeeded from there. It had all that screen real estate, and it's just... Yeah, it, I, the, oh. I, I mean, everything from, like, the, 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 <laughs> the background art in this, everything it looks like just a beautiful painting. The it's character, probably my favorite. The water, the char- uh, like, it's, what, what's the style of painting? Actually, I don't it's know like if water. it's watercolor, but it's... It's, it's it seems a little watercolor, and I really appreciate it. There are certain parts, especially when you get later into the series, um, there's, there's some scenes where the background art is stunning but Mm -hmm. um you know the character animations people the people move with so much personality um studio mirror is the ones uh who are behind this season yeah i think they handled seasons one three and four i'm i I was gonna say i i don't know if you're familiar with this but studio mirror is actually one of their first projects was the legend of korra as a studio i mean they i mean they they proved themselves and it's funny because uh, season two, I think, is the only season that had a different, uh, partially different production company. Uh, it was partially done by Studio Mir, but also by Studio Poirot, um, who were, I think, responsible. I, I'll have to go back and check, but I think they're responsible for the beginnings episode, which mm-hmm. whatever can be said for or against those episodes, they look amazing. Yeah, um, I, but, I would say that the show's just improvement, like like the the fluidity. Is that what you is that the proper pronunciation? Um, yeah, it's I just mean, every they're... everything was so super smooth. You know, like everything was just awesome, awesome all around. I you know I know you don't like season two, but I'd say the animation gets even better in <laughs> well, yeah, season I mean, two. Listen, I, I I will always say they, if, listen, if this, something looks good, it looks great. Um, th- this is a book one conversation, but I just yeah. thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> no, I think, um, but you know things like like facial animations i know we'll we'll kind of get into like the nitty-gritty of like plot elements in a minute but like i i've said in in the notes and i've said to you the scene in the first i think it's the first episode when um cora has been arrested by the republic city police and uh there's a scene between her lin beifong and um tenzin, uh, tenzin and in like the span of like you know like two minutes, there's such like they they get the expressions so well. There's this that funny exchange of like Lynn does the you know she points at her eyes, points at Cora, Cora does it back to her, but with like a funny face, and then like yeah. Lynn kind of like you know shrugs like what the hell was that? And yeah, 
and every oh, little like you know they're not. I was gonna say to... it, it does a really good job of kind of honoring those like kind of not freeze frame kind of faces that the first uh, series did. Yeah. But you know there there were definitely moments like when Sokka would have the cactus juice or like when Aang would kind of mess around with the little ball in his hands and like yeah. make it spin around. Like it did a good job of trying to like capturing those kind of moments, but also implementing them in in I guess a little more serious tone situations and, and yeah, things of the sort. Especially again, as we get later into the series, uh, that facial animation goes to sh- goes is used to show some pretty distressed uh, expressions. Yeah, I um, agree. But uh, why don't we why don't we get into kind of like you know some of the some of the plot stuff and character stuff we like about this series? Um, I mean, first off, I, I guess let's let's uh, hold on. Excuse me, I feel like I have some gas or something. Um, oh no. I don't know, Billy. Maybe cut that out. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, leave it in. And anyways, um, I feel like starting with with the characters, right? Because now I know we were talking about their cast and who plays them, but I w- I want to get kind of at the start starting point is is Cora, right? Our main protagonist. Oh, is she um, is she important to the show? <laughs> oh no, she's just some sort of side character. But what I really found, it was quite hilarious, is just her introduction to the series, right? Oh, it's, you, it's great. You have um, the, the White Lotus has now transformed into like this, I, and I don't want to call it a protection agency, but like this, this kind of... They've, they've gone public. Ex- exactly. Um, and so now they've kind of taken on the role of like working with the Avatar and just kind of uh, that world of benders, and they're now on the search for the new avatar after the unfortunate demise of Aang, uh, due to I guess um, cold disease from freezing himself yeah, for a hundred years I, I, or I something like that. Because I was I was kind of like trying to figure out the the timeline of everything and like yeah, biologically, I guess he died in his fifties or sixties in his sixties because of preserving himself a hundred years in ice just just killed his body. Exactly, um, which is it's fine, I guess. I didn't. I, mean, I didn't really think I needed an explanation of his death, but but I, I guess it, that's fine that they have it. Yeah, hey, it, it I I I don't dislike it. Bingo. Um, but Cora, uh, all right. So the White Lotus is finally in the South Pole, where we find this lovely little family in their igloo, uh, or I, a hut. I forget what it is, and they walk in and they say, "Oh, so you think your daughter is the Avatar? Uh, we've been all over the world." Yeah, like, we oh, heard a well, bunch of claims in the North Pole. They know it has to be a waterbender because of the Avatar cycle. Of course. And then in comes Korra, like, screaming, I am the Avatar! And then Earth bends, <laughs> water bends. deal with it. With her little pot belly, like, the cutest little situation yeah, going on. The, the Her, her uh, you know, what is it, like, four-year-old uh, character design is, is adorable. But um, I, I mean, and then we get this awesome transition of her like doing her final, like one of her final trainings in firebending, and then just kind of implementing all of her moves. She's super tough, uh, super. I, I don't know, like she's a, she's a prodigy. She's a she is she is a total prodigy. She she by you know seventeen she has mastered fire, earth, and water. Um. I mean, instantly she establishes herself. She establishes herself as something that Ang, not that he wasn't a prodigy, but Ang. It, I know it took him a while to learn earthbending quite well and firebending and just get a hang for these things. Though I mean, Ang had different circumstances. Also, Korra had different circumstances. Right, right, um, yeah. You know, it's just kind of great that we're we're already kind of moved up to speed with everything and just the sto- We're at a different part in the story. You know, yeah, she's she- 
she's a she's a much different uh, character. She's yeah. basically his polar opposite. Yeah. Um, but that means that leads to like a lot of really fun characterization with her. Yeah, I mean, I was super really into it. But and then you get the unfortunate news after our, her introduction that it's like, yeah, you may be really good at bending, but you lack every little bit of spiritual knowledge that you need to be the Avatar. And she's just like, ah, it just doesn't come as easy. You know, what do you what do you want to do about it? Um, which obviously she'll learn later. She's only seventeen. She's becoming the Avatar. Um, right. And she's not like Aang, where he had to grow up at twelve years old. You know, the Avatar, I guess they wouldn't really tell her until she's 16, though that didn't even happen at this point either. But right, um, right, right. I would say she gets a little more normal Avatar training uh, rather than uh, what Aang got in the last series. So a uh, good contrast between the two. Um, you know what I really liked the be- about the beginning of the series, um, you know, without getting too much into the, the nitty gritty, de- nitty gritty details, mm-hmm. um, you know, we I think at the very beginning with like the opening of the first episode, you get this cool establishing shot of Republic City and like Tenzin's voiceover kind of explains that Aang and Zuko made this community uh, after the Hundred Years War as a way to kind of help people heal uh, uh, after the defeat of the Fire Lord. Yeah. And uh, but then aside from that, we don't really see any of it. And then we go to the Southern Water Tribe, and which, which, until season two, when they expand on it a bit more and you see a little bit more of it, at least for season one, it looks pretty much pretty similar to what it looked like in the original series. You know, it's a lot of ice huts and stuff in the inside of the, of course, I, I, I would say it just looks like its population has increased. Uh, well, some, sure, but I mean, it's point. still it's still a tundra. You know, it's still a snowy yeah. uh, tundra, and yeah. and. And it, you go from, like, you know, what what we're used to seeing. It's, you know, I always try to think of, like, I got to think about this like I'm watching it for the first time. Um, how would I, how would I, if I knew nothing going into it, uh, only, like, say, the original series, and you you're start off in an area that is very reminiscent of the original series, the costumes are all very traditional, especially because, like, later we'll get into the Republic City where everyone's in suits and stuff and... Um, but I like that, you know, we do go from like a very familiar setting and then we go with Cora who has spent her entire life in this environment into the new world. And so we experience it with her. Yeah. I mean, I feel, I really like that though. I think I mm-hmm. mentioned, a, I, I wanted to mention a point that like, because that's kind of just her, her sole experience, it really does affect a lot of her, her character later on in the show. I, and I feel like to a point where some people don't realize that after a lot of the criticism that fans have given the show and, and her character specifically, mm-hmm. uh, what you know we, we were established with, or, or excuse me, um, what her kind of upbringing establishes about her, right? Um, we, we later find out that she's kind of been uh, secluded from a lot of other people, hidden from the world uh, to a point. Like People know there's a new avatar, but they don't know who yeah, or she's, what. She's been sheltered for most of her life. And, exactly. Uh, Basically, and, all of her life, really. Exactly, and and she, in a way, can sort of be reliant on the people around her. But and truly, she seems like she's just relied on herself to do everything. And she's a tough, you know, she's a tough cookie, right? <laughs> why why wouldn't she? Or or then besides her trusty uh, polar bear dog thing, uh, yeah. I don't know what animal you would classify Naga I, I believe, as. I believe they they refer to it to her as a polar bear dog. Um, but I mean, like that that alone affects her 
the, her way of thinking, how she handles things, uh, very rash. There yeah, was she's... actually, um, I, I kind of want to correlate her to uh, our first edition of, of James Bond with Daniel Craig in <laughs> Casino Royale, where it's like, we're kind of, you know, we're familiar with James Bond, like we're familiar with the Avatar, but like, we're, we're kind of given the new take that like, this is just like a rash character, right? Like they will do things however they see it because they can't. Fiercely right? independent. Exactly. Um, and so uh, that, is, that is both to her character's, uh, I guess, successes and then to her detriment later on. Uh, but I mean, detriment for uh, more like her arc. Like it, it'll, yeah. it'll really affect her negatively in the end, um, which I think created some really good story and plot points. I'd say it's it's this is a uh, something I've seen everywhere online uh, when people talk about the two the two avatars that we've been shown is that because they're polar opposites you get Ava, uh, avatar Aang who is more more he has more humanity I feel like and more he's more mm-hmm. of a kid uh, and more of a believable person uh, with uh, very deep emotions at the beginning of the series and the. The first series is really about him learning to become this avatar and become this, uh, you know, source of power for the world. And Korra is kind of the opposite in that she starts off strong and confident, and it's kind of about her learning to become a bit more human. And uh, I, I mean. Yeah, I like you. You said that Aang is kind of a more believable person. I disagree. I feel like I've met more people in my life more like Korra than I have Aang. Unfortunately, well, um, I, 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 I've known I've known a, a probably you know people of both uh, of both. life. Yeah, ex- um, it's just well, I guess you know people. Everybody's different. It um, <laughs> no, but I, yeah, I, I I feel like it's also has to do with like Aang's upbringing as like an air nomad, right? Or I guess what the world has created us. Or wants us to believe about air nomads, um, and just kind of how how they were brought up to, you know, they're uh, uh, against fighting. What's the word? Pacifists. Um, yeah, they're excuse my, un, I don't know things sometimes. That's okay. Uh, um, yeah, they're pacifists. Like they're vegans for Christ's sake. You know, like they they treasure every little bit about life. And versus Cora has so much to learn about life. I mean, right. I just I just think about like the first episode when she gets into town and she like, you know, earth bend drop kicks a guy up like three stories and lets him just smash down on the ground. Uh, yeah. she's she's not afraid to knock heads. Uh, yeah. Whereas with uh, Aang, you had to like literally steal his bison and like trap him in a desert to get him angry enough that he would want to hurt somebody. So yeah, Cora is really refreshing in that she is she's totally different what a clever new take yeah she she establishes a complete um a complete new identity for the series um but no avatar is complete without their team avatar i I was gonna say their team (laughs) avatar that's Um, great what a great transition thank you and i uh i think you know so the original series we had katara we had sokka we had toff uh, eventually Zuko, um, Suki, and a bunch of others. Um, so this series, we get Mako, we get Bo Lin. We who are get, brothers. Who are brothers. We get Asami. Um, and I would go as far to say Tenzin and Lin Beifong are also like honorary team avatar. That's true. 
It's funny because uh, the the you know how in Teen Titans, uh, another cartoon, where how they gave everybody little like communicators, like you're a member of the Titans now. Right, that's, right. That's probably uh, what these guys ended up doing I would, in a way. I would say like it's in you know, I I think every character in the original series, I really they're all really well written and their characterizations carry through from start to finish consistently and where they change it feels natural so like for example i look at someone like Sokka, who is Mm -hmm. kind of he's meant to be a parody slash takedown of the idea of toxic masculinity you know at the beginning of the series he's you know he he gives uh, katara crap for being a girl and he he thinks he's tougher than Suki because she's a girl and throughout the series he's able to kind of like learn to be like oh yeah yeah the, Dude, it doesn't you, matter. you'd only have to mention the first episode because Katara calls him out on being like a sexist like yeah, uh yeah. you know so, all these other things but, it, what that was but he's, interesting first episode yeah he I mean he's he's quick to to change but when he does change it it feels natural because he's had his comeuppance and he's realized yeah. that he's not the biggest fish in the pond he there are people who are stronger and more skilled than him and he he grows to accept that and so when he does uh so l- later in the series when he you know has interactions with these characters it's a lot more nuanced and respectful and it feels great i'll be the one here to say i think that while for the most part the Team Avatar of Korra is fun to watch. I don't find them that well written. Um, I'll, I'll at least I'll say the two brothers. I think they sometimes leave a lot to be desired. I think Asami's cool. She's. I, she's I mean, cool. I I, I want to interject a little bit. I feel like maybe that's more of the case for Mako. Mako, but- okay, yeah. Let's. Uh, but I, I, I mean, I, I, I do want. I know that's who you want to attack right now. But I won't beat around the bush. I, Mako I don't know, sucks. I don't know if I can create much of a defense for Mako's character just because uh, I don't tend to. Uh, the, the most interesting characters for me in the show are probably, uh, you know, Korra, Bolin, and Tenzin. Because I feel like actually Bolin throughout the entire series does get his day in the sun, does get Bolin, his character arc. Bolin's and I, better. Uh, yeah. Bol- Bolin, I think the only issue I have with Bolin and its Bolin, light is that Bolin gets a lot of um uh, of comic relief moments more so than anything. But and I, I think I, sometimes it, it verges on a point where I want to be like, oh my god, shut up. But, no, I I feel like there's 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 definitely some some really great moments with him though, and that he he's he, a, does, he comes into his own. I feel like he for for all the silly moments he has, he should be younger. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean. I got, Oh, wait, is he 16 and then in the... After... Right, but, like, he... The way he kind of, like, jokes around, it feels like he should be, like, Aang's age. I, I mean, um, do you remember what it was like to be 16, Zach? Yes, it was... I, I feel like I was... Time. Acted just as stupid as he did. Sure. I, I, listen, <laughs> listen, I'm just saying, like, you know, it's... They're... You know, I don't know. For me, Bolin's fine. He has some... He has better stuff as it goes ahead. Um, but, like, okay, so, like, let's talk... Mako and Bolin, specifically in their first appearance in episode two, uh, when they are first brought on, their whole dynamic is that Bolin is girl crazy mm-hmm. and Mako is very serious about pro bending. And if that's where you want to start, that's fine because that, you know, it's, it's good characterization, you know, 
Bolin brings Korra to their like locker room and and Bo- and Mako's even like, "Hey dude, what have I told you about like bringing girls over here and stuff? You, not another one of your fangirls." And yeah. when Korra wants to like introduce him her herself to to Mako, he's very he's like, "I don't have time for this. I got to focus on my game." And you're like, "Okay, there's some it's different. It's you know, it's actual characterization and it's maybe like a single episode before those uh, characterizations are just thrown aside. So within an episode, we already have Mako, who is now flip-flopped, where he's the one who is more interested in girls than the game. We have I... Bolin, where he is supposed to be the guy who's all about you know impressing girls, and now suddenly he's the goofball. Here, well, here's the thing: is that I feel like, though, uh, you know, I respect your criticisms, and I think that they're very valid. I also think that we can't judge these characters based off of just their initial introductions. And no, I realize I, I, I there think... should be certain principles that should have been upheld if this is how they're going to introduce them. Then, like, all right, let's continue no, with something okay. like this. So, so let me let me say, I don't mind if Mako, if they wanted to characterize Mako as the the guy who bounces between the girls even though i think it's a shallow characterization regardless of you know what Mm -hmm. what happens uh if that's how they wanted to do it it's fine but it's like yeah they start him off on how he doesn't he he doesn't care about these things he's like dedicated and disciplined and literally like you know within a few episodes he is ping-ponging between asami and Korra, and there's literally a point when Bo Lin has to tell him, hey, leave some girls for the rest of us. And you're right. like, but that's not, like, why would you even start a character it, off? It, it is unfortunate <laughs> that they that they put him in that position, too. Though, uh, you know, now that I think about it, there are some moments where they subtly kind of, you know, give him that, like, oh, he's still determined and, like, kind of disciplined in certain things. Like, he does, at some one point, like, use his bending to go work and try to make money for the team to in order sure. for them to to meet qualifications. And then later on in the series too, when he changes careers and totally or um, I like would say completely, like, he brings he, that kind of dedication along with him, but that isn't as uh, I guess apparent uh, as is his relationship troubles and, and just endeavors. <laughs> he has moments where he gets better as a character, but then like by the end of the series, I feel like, yeah, Mako they, they, has they just are, been... they are overshadowed by, by some of the more, he is, um, he is literally a character defined by who he is currently dating. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I mean, it is laughable. I don't think, I don't know if this is a spoiler cause it was, it's kind of the thing that defined the legend of Korra. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm about to spoil it for anyone who's listening, but, uh, it, the show is very famous for ending with, uh, Korra and Asami as a couple. Um, right. And I think, you know, it's laughable that you look at a character like Mako who, is supposed to be, you know, the the cool, calm, collected one of the group, and he ends up being the guy who drove two women into uh, each other's arms because he was apparently that I, bad I, of a partner. I don't, well, I don't want to make that assumption that that it, because it wasn't it wasn't their own like choosing of doing that. No, because, no, you I know, know I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. Right, but, like, right. The point is that like uh, I'll you know, tell you what. Uh, this this series definitely explored relationships uh, and more, you know, like, I guess I want to use the word adult, though they were also a bit they, young. They were aiming for, a more, for an older audience, I think. 
Yeah, and and I appreciate that. Like some of the relationship stuff in here, I feel like was important. You know, like in terms some of some of it's fine. Some of it, it some of it, I, I like. I would assume that the audience now, the older fans of Avatar watching this, are also going through these kind of relationships, and so they want to. You know, they want to represent their audience um, into certain things. And and that's understandable. And and I feel like there wasn't a ton of the relationship bits that I was totally against or anything like that. In fact, I felt like the representation, um, it worked. It fit. um, It just came at the detriment of his character at some points. Unfortunately, like, I don't know. I just, yeah, the the relationship stuff, like, I think of stuff like later in the series where you get, like, Janora and Kai, or you get Bolin and I, I, um, I liked I liked Janora and Kai and and Bolin and Opal. I think more than yeah. Mako and anybody else. Mako, but like literally, like I'm talking, I'm thinking like what is it? It's episode five, I think, where he literally tells Korra in no uncertain terms that he is not interested in her and he does not feel the same way about her that she does of him. And then like she's like, okay, then I'm gonna go uh, hang out with Bolin. And he is visibly upset by it, and I'm like, "Why would you write a character, Zach? Like this? It's because he's a Libra, or is, whatever, whatever those uh, astrology things are. Does the Gregorian calendar uh, exist in? I, I this don't world? know. I'm just seasons exist. I'm just um, talking out of my, you know. But you but, know, talking about talking about some of the more um, mature aspects of this series, I, um, I I do want to get into some of the other these other characters, like like Tenzin. Tenzin's fun. I I feel like Tenzin's fantastic. Uh, he's great. I think again, like he has some standout moments in this uh, season. I think his best stuff is later in the series, in the later seasons, but he has some good stuff here. Um, I think his relationship with Korra is a little on the cliche side, you know, it's just, at least in the beginning of, um, you know, when they're kind of squabbling over, well, you're a bad student, well, maybe you're a bad teacher and stuff, and you're like, I know where this is going, couldn't you just get to the good part? And thankfully you don't have to wait long, because I like, there are fun little... um, moments in that dynamic of like Korra kind of adapting to the airbender footwork while mm-hmm. in a pro bending match. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I do want to talk about pro bending in a bit because like world building in, in Legend of Korra is insane. There's like, they've, they've taken everything that was introduced in the original series and like kind of dialed it up to 20 uh, yeah, uh, to 11, it's... if you will. It's cool, and I like that Tenzin. He dismisses pro bending. He's like, ah, this is a waste of time, and uh, you know, you need to focus on your meditation. He's just jealous that there's not an airbender <laughs> uh, role for pro benders. Well, maybe if he was, uh, you know, maybe if he and Pema stopped being so lazy. No, I'm kidding. But um, yeah, he's fun. I like later when he when he they're watching the finals and he's getting like really into it, and Lin Beifong's like, what the hell, man. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I feel like you earlier were talking about, like, mature. Like, there is also mature relationship bits when you want to talk about Tenzin and Pema, but then also when it's alluded to that Tenzin and Lin Beifong, the <laughs> daughter of Toph, also had a thing previously. I think, I think, I don't did I put it in the, the that moment in the notes? I think I did, where he's like, he, Korra kind of, like, puts two and two together about him and Beifong, and he's, like, starting to explain. He's like, people change, and they move on. He's like, why am I even telling you this? 
Oh man, you know, it's just oh, <laughs> this show did a good job at least in the very first episode, um, just kind of connecting us throughout the world. We meet Tenzin, uh, Ang's. Uh, I guess he's not Aang's his old he's, son. He's the youngest son, uh, uh, almost a spitting image, right? Um, oh, born oh, an Airbender, you know. has three Airbender children, and then one on the way. One on we the don't way. Know. Um, his wife is an air acolyte, not a bender. I'm just gonna say um, this: I didn't know this until like the other day. Apparently, like he's like fifty something and she's thirty something. And I said I did not realize they were that far apart in age. But you know how both... many people have that age? No, difference. I was gonna say they're they're both adults, and and you know they're also fictional, so it doesn't so... doesn't bother me. It just I didn't realize it until the other day. Um, um, but. It just kind of, and then, all right, so that's one lineage that we get, right? And then we get introduced to um, the, we were talking earlier about the uh, police force uh, in the Republic City. Led and by how, Chief Beifong. Chief Beifong. And then Korra's like, wait, you're Toph's daughter. Like, yeah. of course. <laughs> no. Um, um, but you know, I think. Uh, it's it's kind of great lineage. I, Everything I, I, is working. I think it's cool, you know, she's got a very, you know, at first she's she's really gruff and unfriendly, and then as the series goes on, like, in, as the season goes on, she warms up more to Korra, and to the point that by the end she's, like, making these, like, you know, noble sacrifices for the good of the airbending I like, family. I like the scars on her face. I like her character design. It's very yes. well put. Also, her suit and all the suits of the... Uh, the armor, or the, I guess the armors of the the police force of um, Republic City, just really awesome, cool metal yeah. bits. Uh, she literally uses her metal bending to throw on her armor That's, and it's clothes. Cool. And not um, to mention, she can open up her shoes so that her yes, feet can that feel is the ground. One of my favorite oh. moments of the season is awesome. harkens back to Toph's like sonar ability. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when they swing around, it's like this cool mashup of like Spider-Man and Attack on Titan, uh, when they're like zipping around on their like, uh, metal sure. cords. It's, it's, I'm telling it's you, pretty awesome. They, they take the best parts of every piece of bending <laughs> and then they throw it into the show and they expect us not to like just absolutely fall in love with every single bit, uh, it's, when they absolutely knew that we were going to. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's really cool. And, uh, you know, let's see, we have Asami. I think she's a fun character because um, I was doing some, you know, a little bit of research for this episode. And uh, she was originally intended to be a villain. Oh. Um, and, but as they were writing her, they said, well, we we need someone who represents, you know, the non-benders uh, of the world who's a good guy. And they chose to use her and set her up as a good foil against uh, her father, uh, who who is kind of like the benefactor of the equalist movement, right? And, and which we'll get into in a second, I guess when we when we talk about Amon. Um, and yeah, but um, but it's cool, you know. You can you can see they're still like kind of like, um, uh, her her appearance is a relic of her former role because she definitely has that like film noir, uh, uh, femme fatale look going on. Yeah. And, I, I would uh, say her her design is is I guess it's 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 the eyes right and her lips and the way they styled her hair. Not to mention her outfit's actually pretty like well her outfit's actually reminds me of uh I don't know how familiar or how how well you remember the the Atlantis the Lost Empire 
um, the Disney yeah. animated film. Yeah. Uh, the the second in command, uh, I forget what her name is, oh, but the blonde woman that that kind of takes Milo. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She reminds me a lot of her design. Um, who she was a villain in that movie. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, but overall, Asami proves uh, kind of her abilities and and just kind of has all these amazing resources thanks to like her family's business and her company and it I would say performs as as the Sokka of the show in a way. She I mean yeah she's the the non bender uh good at hand to hand combat smart person. Yeah. Awesome. She's really great behind the steering wheel too of yeah, the she's, Sato mobile. I, I like that they they, you know you know it doesn't come across like they're just checking off boxes of like, okay, here's the female character and we have to give her a talent and we have to make her good at something. It's like, you know, it, it makes sense when you kind of delve into her character, like her, she's the daughter of a very rich man. Of course he would, he would make sure that she knew how to defend herself. You know, yeah. she's a very independent person and not someone who he was going to really easily hold down and keep at home if he wanted to, you know, no, she's she really is uh, her own, and her, and all- her introduction uh, is great because uh, she starts the series running Mako over, and I mean that's what everybody wanted, right? Yeah, that's, what people- that's what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I I, I want to get into the Equalists and Aman, uh, but I want to throw a really quick shout out to Ugi, uh, our new flying bison of the series. He's uh, one who of has well- like. We'll get a I bunch guess. of flying bisons later, but Oogie, yeah, he's uh He doesn't get enough of the limelight. I feel like he's, he's a nice a nice darker shade from Appa. Yeah, and he's kind of shaggy, but like super cool. <laughs> and as soon as you see him and you find out his name's Oogie, I don't know. He remind his name just reminds me of my dog's name, Iggy. Uh <laughs> and I love my dog, so I love Oogie go. by association. You know, um, I, I think there's a lot of fun little bit characters. There's um the pro bending announcer, he does all the recaps. So, you know, he's the guy who talks like this and yeah. Uh, v- and very roaring twenties, very radio. <laughs> he's uh, very, very voice. funny, very funny character. Um, Shout out uh, to, to the other children of uh, Tenzin. I know we mentioned Janora, but uh, Iki and Milo uh, also great. Uh, Milo is almost the spitting image of Aang. Oh, but I mean, they all are in a way, right? Yeah. I will. Yeah, yeah, I think I think they uh, they each share one aspect him so, of him. Him more so because he it's he's a boy, but um, yeah, yeah, they're fun. I think you know Rami Malek as Tano, I think is pretty entertaining. Kind of like he's like this pompous ass, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think I think yeah, there's there's, there's just a lot of good characters in this series. Except for speaking Mako. of speaking of. Great characters. Let's get into the antagonists because I don't know if you remember Zach, but the very first Avatar episode we talked about, I discussed how I didn't not discuss, but we I talked about um, the the lack of uh, other villains in some of the series and how it was just very evident to everybody that uh, the Fire Nation's the bad guy and right. just hate those people and they all suck and you don't really get to. I mean, you get to see little nuanced uh, earthbenders and and other people, uh, the like, if you will. But this is the first time, or I don't want to say it's the first time, but we really get like the non-bender side, like what these people think, or this specific group of people think about the benders and how 
they are just the the scum of the earth and they <laughs> they took their jobs and right. and they really they you know just this movement the equalists with their leader the masked man Amon himself I think yeah he's a uh, played by Steve Bloom I think he is uh he's a very cool menacing character very um, menacing super well, jojo-esque what I, think, what I yeah what I uh what I think is uh very cool about this series is across the four seasons we get uh waterbender and uh bad guys we get firebenders airbenders uh earthbend uh no no firebenders excuse me that's the one element we don't get a bad guy for really well, you, get, you get combustion man 2.0 please combustion right Warman. Eh, it's a combustion bending whatever uh mind-blowing stuff but um, <laughs> she. Uh, well, the, this one was her, like secret waterbender, right? We didn't figure that out till later. Yeah, you don't really. Well, at first you think he is a no bender, and then he's yeah. suddenly taking people's bending away, and you know he seems like a guy who's always like one step ahead of everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I it's, again, like, I mean, I mean, the fact that he's rallied all these people behind him to kind of like join together—that. It's not that non-benders are, you know, seemingly uh, worthless, but like that. What other skills do they have besides not having any skills, or at least magic skills, or whatever you want to call it? Yeah, um, and then then the, the risk that they could become oppressed by their super-powered neighbors. Exactly, um, and so that that poses a really interesting question, and the, they explored this. I mean, thank God that they were in this. Uh, technology, technological revolution, this industrial revolution, where they now kind of had the tools to fight back and and uh, disable the benders themselves, like the the chi blocking that we saw that from Ty really, Lee. Yeah, that makes a really cool um, uh, appearance in this series, where it's yeah. like it's the great uh, the great equalizer, uh, no yeah. pun intended, uh, where suddenly you have these people who can level the playing field and then on top of that they're just carrying like sticks with tasers on them i I was gonna say yeah now everybody has access to like electricity and so they're using the best of that to just kind of uh remove uh certain people from the equation and just uh, immobilize them and do when when that doesn't work when that doesn't work mecha suits platinum mecha suits because platinum (laughs) can't be bended for whatever reason doesn't platinum come from the earth it's it's because it's too refined. Uh, I feel like if Toph Beifong were listen, still alive, man, what she listen. is. Hold on, this, this is a show about dragons and badger moles and people who can bend the elements to their their uh, will. We can't we can't start arguing the rules. Listen, if there's a will, <laughs> there's a bending, and there's a way. Uh, um, I'm okay with platinum bending. It's a good limit. Yeah. Well, we'll see. You know. If they ever make uh, Avatar: The Legend of uh, Bob, you know, maybe maybe we'll we'll get Bob that answer someday. Bender. He would be next, wouldn't he? Or well, actually, I want yep. the the Dark Avatar series. Um, the, the Evil Tar. Oh, don't worry, we'll cover that in the next Korra episode. But I mean, overall, um, character-wise, I feel like a s- solid group overall. I know everybody's got their complaints, but. I think uh, our our heroes and then our opposition, it, it led us to have some interesting uh, conflicts. Um, so I guess I, I kind of want to jump into some story here, if, if you're comfortable with that. 
I'm always comfortable with it. Because, you know, as, as kind of Avatar Korra makes herself and her presence known to the world and to Republic City, uh, she's met with some, uh, I guess, kind of sinister or some characters with some ulterior motives. Are you speaking uh, maybe specifically about one uh, counselor, uh, Councilman Tarlock? Yeah. How, do, how does that work, by the way? Because there's already a Water Tribe representative. Is that that other guy like the Northern Water Tribe representative and Tarlock's the Southern Tribe representative? Well, so what, Tar- what is Tarlock the dynamic is, there? Tarlock, he says in the in the series that he's from the Northern Tribe. Oh, okay, and they, have, they have a Fire Nation person and an Earth Kingdom person in Tenzin who is heir for uh, all, the, the, for the all one five a- people in his nation. Yeah, I I don't know. I guess the the not the nomads, but the acolytes would consider themselves air nation. I guess that's um, true. But no, it, it, I I would actually agree. It's um, uh, we're an interesting dynamic there, uh, and especially because of the fact that none of the other council members actually really matter. Uh, <laughs> it's outside of maybe the one time we get to see them vote. Uh, it's yeah, all just yeah. just Tarlock put against uh, Tenzin, and we get to see how that goes. And then te- I would now say Tarlock's focused his attention all on Korra now that Tarlock, she's around. Tarlock is a character who I think becomes a lot more interesting as the series goes on. Uh, because at the beginning, he is scene-chewingly like, nefarious. Mm-hmm. Like There's so many times where I'm expecting him to like tweedle a mustache, you know? Yeah, but um, but Maybe like one even of his like, dreadlocks. <laughs> there's like this one clunk, one clunky bit of dialogue, like when when he's first introduced. I'm trying to find it. It's in my notes. Oh yeah, it's Tenzin is saying, Tenzin says to him, "This is just another one of your ploys to get more power, isn't it?" And I'm just like, "Well, if you're just gonna say it, yeah." So I mean, you know. He's, uh, I feel like as his character kind of gets more developed, um, though we, you like to call him a red herring, uh, of he the show, a, of this season, herring. um, you know, as, as the, the faux bad guy, I don't know where I'm going with this thought. Okay. Well, that's okay. Uh, Tarlock, you know, he's a, he's, I think, I think played a little too obviously not the real bad guy. Um, cause I remember, I think the first time I was watching the series, he, um, I was like, oh man, maybe he's Amon, you know, and he's playing both mm-hmm. sides and stuff. But then like, obviously he gets captured by Amon and t- gets his bending taken away. Um, yeah. but you know, for those first few episodes, it's like, you want to be like, oh my God, just get to the reveal, you know, like, like let's get on with it. When he and Korra finally fight, it is. It's pretty cathartic for the story, but also just because, like, it's a cool fight. I would say so. Man, he's, like, he makes that, like, ball of water, and he's just, like, shooting out, like, you know, blades of ice at her. Uh, and and when you do delve into his past and, like, the kind of, like, what made Tarlock and, uh, by extension, Amon, a.k.a. Noatok. Tarlock's uh, estranged older brother. Yeah. Uh, that's that's some really interesting stuff. I think we talked about it last time with regards to Zuko that he was a character shaped by his uh, by the abuse of his father, mm-hmm. and we see that again here with uh, Tarlock and Noatok that the men they became was a direct result of their abusive father Yakon, who was who this... was Republic City's <laughs> biggest crime boss. He, he was, was a, John. Um, he was the John Gotti. 
of of Republic City. <laughs> he was yeah, this like mafioso in the Avatar world. Uh, but uh, you know, I want to say it comes with the territory because of this this new age that they're in. And I honestly, you know, we I don't think we mentioned um, enough about about the the new outfits, the new style of buildings, the the fact that there's cars everywhere. Right before it was just uh, uh, you know horsebound carriage, automobiles. Oh, pardon my French. Um, <laughs> but also the the us getting this these tidbits about Yacon. Um, and just kind of this past, they're they're presented to us in the form of like flashbacks that Korra's receiving. Remember, Korra is, as we said earlier, is not in tune with her her spiritual side, but yeah, she gets get, these get visions, flashes, yeah, which are which are messages, if you will, uh, being sent to her from the Avatar previous to her, which she has no contact with at all. Less spiritual than Aang. By the way, Aang had a very interesting spiritual time. Um, I don't think people realize it also took Aang a little while to get used to the whole spiritual talking to old avatar stuff uh, right, than, yeah. than it did Korra. But anyways, I, I digress. But we we get this great glimpse of um, just what it was like for Aang and the gang back in the day when they were dealing with this guy Yukon in early Republic City. We got a feature of Toph. We got like our only bit of Sokka as like council yeah, I was, leader. I was going to say, this is our one time, I mean like aside, you know, from I think the first episode, Korra, or not Korra, Katara as an old Graham Graham Says, uh, says, you know, oh, well, all of our friends, you know, my Most brother is, is no longer with us. And you go, ah, oh, that's that sucks. I mean, obviously, we will get other characters from the original series later. Yeah. But like, you know, it's yeah. just before you, you, you bring it up. I just want to give you a mention. You gave me fucking shit in Interstellar when uh, Murph was the only one left alive. Like, yeah, but what about? Fucking, uh, no. what's his name? Um, I forget his her brother's name right now. Tom. Uh, it's not that's Tom. not that's not what I have the issue with. My issue with that is that um that what's his name didn't even think to ask. Oh, yeah. what about my son? But like you could assume you could assume. Sure. Okay. But dead. like what I'm saying with this is that I think it's it's <laughs> great that we get some characters and then other characters we don't really see too much of. We don't see uh too much of Ang and. We don't see too much of Toph until later. Um, That's true. But but I think I think for for what we get, uh, even this one uh, scene uh, it, with Sokka, it, I think it's it great. was fantastic. I, it was really great, and we get to see the kind of uh, uh, once again the world building continue as Yakon's on trial for using blood bending and being this all powerful bender, and he proves it later at the end of his trial as he escapes, where he even blood bends Aang. Um, unfortunately, then Aang uses his. He makes the uh, mistake avatar. of trying to kill Aang. Yeah, which 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 activates Aang's like murder mode, avatar state, if you will, and then Aang uses energy bending to remove. I always, his, I always his power did, from the equation. Yeah, I always did find the line that Aang says they're a little basic. Where he's like, "I'm taking your bending away, Yakon," and I'm just like, "That's that's all you got." This is your ah. moment to sound to sound menacing, but uh. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Aang, <laughs> I, I don't think Aang was ever known for his one-liners. That was Sokka's job. Was um, it? Yeah, I guess that's true. But um, but yeah, I think it's it's cool. You know, uh, it's a great like setup. And then um, I I love you know in that fight uh, between Tarlock and Korra in the council chambers when she knocks him out of his office away from his source of water, 
and he's down on the ground, and this is before it's been. Re- this is the reveal that he is a bloodbender. But you know, she's like, like his do? father before him, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, she's like, what are you gonna do? And then, like, just as she's about to fire, shoot fire at him, he bloodbends her, and without a full moon. Yep, that is that is their their secret, you know, special ability is they don't need the full moon to access that power, mm-hmm. uh, which potentially makes them one of the most dangerous people in the series. It's unfortunate that they use that power for evil and not for good. Uh, though I don't know what good you'd be able to use that power for. I feel like it would just be stopping pure abuse. Uh, stopping scary old ladies. Yeah, maybe that would have been uh, a nice thing. But, um, you know, outside of that, and, and I guess that vision, you know, we're now gifted with these great uh, character backgrounds for both Tarlock and Amon, uh, who've already, you know, had some really great screen time. Like, uh, we haven't even mentioned yet Amon and Korra's, like, first um, kind of fight, or I don't even know if you'd call it a fight, on a Avatar Aang it's island. It's more of, like, just, just Amon scaring the crap out of Korra. Yeah, uh, and showing the kind of power that he possesses. And, and also, a, he's not a, a man... freaky scene. He, you know, come on. Korra challenged him one-on-one, face-off. Amon clearly is a man with no honor. Uh, oh, yeah. no, I, I, I don't know. I don't know where he gets off. Well, you know? I think, yeah, he's, he's, a, uh, he's a trickster, that one. But, I mean, that scene, when she's on Avatar Aang Island and... She thinks she hears something. She goes to check, and then suddenly she gets captured, and they're they're getting her with their uh, with their tethers, and they're pinning her down, and they're taking away her bending with the chi blocking, and it's a it's a freaky scene. Especially yeah, I, with- I I don't think she realized what was happening, especially after she's like, "Well, Amon, looks like you're a no show. Should yeah. have expected otherwise." Blah blah blah. Like, you I know. will say, I think it's a little convenient. Uh, that he just decides in that moment that even though the smartest thing for him to do would be to take away her bending and just eliminate the biggest threat he has right then and there, mm-hmm. for plot reasons, he's like, I'm not going to do it until it's time. Yeah. And then I feel like that's the writers just being like, well, we kind of want them to fight at the end, but we made them face off halfway through the series, so something's got to happen. Yeah. But I think it's fine. The only issue I have is not necessarily that, but just Cora's bounce back from her apparently really bad trauma from the end of the episode because the whole next episode is all her just being goofy with the gang. Yeah. But, you know, worse things in the show have happened. Well, so we you, we talked, or I guess you mentioned about the their final battle. Um and in reality, like the the ending of the show, I, I feel like it takes a bigger turn from like the traditional endings of the last three seasons that we've seen. Um, I, I mentioned, I guess I haven't mentioned this yet, but this ending of book one or book air kind of ends in, in the same way that I feel like book Earth does from the first series. Uh, whereas it's it's not as absolute and resolute versus like the an episode like the siege of the north and how it kind of wraps up everything that they've been building up to in the first book. Right. Where this this one doesn't end in one place or location, but it ends across like three different uh, places. Because though Korra has some sort of final battle with Amon, you know Amon ends up kind of overtaking her and taking away her bending, right, and overpowering mm-hmm. Mako. Um, but 
you know, and, and their entire plan was like to reveal Amon, the truth of Amon to everybody else, right? Is that like Amon right. is a waterbender, he's not an equalist or, you know, and turn him he's, against his own people. Exactly. Um, while also kind of like saving everybody else. And, and so they, all right, they reveal Amon, right? And then Amon gets away, you know, and, and then Tarlock, I guess, is rescued by Amon uh, later on. I think, oh, right, that's how it is. Yeah. Um, and and so in reality, uh, Tarlock and Amon, as they escape, Tarlock is is the reason why Amon and him die. Like, so yeah, so like boat. that is that that really blows me away. Even now, that like you know, again, it's it's with the hindsight of watching the whole series, it's it's hardly the most violent thing we see in this series. It I would, um, I'd, I'd say it's still it's pretty bad up. There. I mean, for a Nickelodeon show to have the main antagonist and one of the main supporting characters die in a massive explosion mm-hmm. and it, like it, n- not even implied like you know it's like very clearly tarlock takes like one of the equalist like taser gloves yeah. and like takes unscrews the gas cap from the so, boat so i mean i i kind of want to rationalize that that kind of series of events or the or what led to tarlock doing that because in in reality when you kind of watch back at it like what did tarlock like, why did he have to do something like that? Like, why is that the way that Amon had to leave? Um, it, you know, uh, Korra only beat Amon in the sense that, like, she revealed his uh, yeah. lies to the world, but she didn't, you know, she didn't physically overpower him or anything like that. Right. They, they, she pushed him out a, a, a window. Um, and so, looking back at, at Tarlock's response to just kind of Amon and just revealing himself, and the only thing that I could rationalize as to why Tarlock blew them both up is that one Amon disappeared forever and then kind of came back and didn't, you know, like, did he not know who Tarlock was? Probably he, he did. I think, I think he did. I just think, I don't know. I think, I think Tarlock makes a point to say like, he came back to, uh, you know, he came to the city and mate worked his way up to being on the council because he, he wanted to, he wanted to do everything that his dad couldn't do, but yeah. in a better way because he was smarter. All right, yeah, exactly. sure. Number exactly. one, he wanted to. He wanted to, you know, get but that you know, same success, but but through through legitimate means. Uh, whereas Tarla or Noah Talk basically ran off after turning on Yakone and he, went. And- he 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 tried to to accomplish the same goal, but through different means. Um, through violent means, right? And so I, I the way I the, all right. So number two is that like Tarlock, the only other motivation I could think that he probably had is one, his brother took away his bending from him, and yeah. and there's no way that unless Cora were to give it back to uh, Tarlock, which obviously he left, so she couldn't do that yet. Right. Um, he's like as as a way of revenge or just kind of getting back at him for kind of just almost upstaging him or also kind of giving him even more trauma than what he, they had both experienced as a kid and also just randomly coming back into his life at such a really weird time. Uh, it, that it was just revenge, right? Like he just kind of did it there. I think it was revenge. I think it was like, I think after everything that had happened, I mean, what we both need to die. Come on. I, I think, I think he kind of, he might've looked at them and said, look at us, you know, we're, we're monsters. We we are the this twisted creation 
that of, of our father and the world would be better without us. And you know, I, I sound like I, I don't like the way that this ended. I, I like the way that they explored this ending. Um, I'm just wanted to point out how, dif- how different it felt versus it's, the it's other endings. It's fascinating because I, I think about this ending from Korra's perspective where, you know, uh, Amon, Noah talk, he disappears. And, Unless you know that it's never it's never touched on again in the series, so yeah. we don't really we don't know if she ever found out that he killed if that that Tarlock maybe they killed. saw the smoke from the water or something. They maybe, but, it, the boat, but, it, but I think you know if memory serves, they're pretty. They're out in the middle of you know the ocean, the ocean when he right. does it, right? Uh, which I think is Tarlock's whole idea is just you know sink them when they're out in the in in the deep. Yeah. And then, and no one will find them. But you got to think, like for Cora, she always, for the rest of her life, is going to be looking over her shoulder, like where, where did Mon go? That's true. Um, now, I guess wanting to circle back to the other parts of the ending of the series, which is uh, kind of Cora coming into the idea that, like, okay, now she's just an Airbender, not the Avatar. Our first sense of like everybody complains. A lot of the fan base complains about Cora's failures as the Avatar, and like. Aang didn't need to do this or like, you know, Korra needed help every season or something like that, though mm-hmm. Korra's journey itself, I, I firmly believe it's it's much different from Aang's and, you know, we didn't get the show because we wanted to see everything the exact same way or done the exact same way. We right, came to right, see different right, experiences. Right. Uh, I I like her experience at the end of this that, you know, she then, one, she learned airbending at the right time, I think. Uh, she learns I, at exactly the right time. I, I no, but I feel like it, it was kind of well, well earned and deserved. And in a way, it's like you almost forget it, uh, but it comes. I'm like, oh, like, dude, I, I don't know. I'm a fan of where it's a great moment. Have- I, I think the the only part about the ending I don't care for, and I know uh, in our notes we kind of went back and forth on this a, a bit. And this is a total personal bit. Uh, 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 this is just my personal taste. I think that, you know, her losing her bending, mm-hmm. even even if she was going to get it back at some point, I feel like the way she gets it back is kind of a cop-out. I get it. She finally connects with her spiritual side and the avatars of Christmas past are able to, you know, open the, those gates for her bes- again bestow upon her the energy bending yeah i mean that's i i guess it's fine like again it's, it's I, far I, f- I mean i i personally don't think it's cop out i think it, it it's far from it's a the good worst callback thing from the original does sure and yeah it's fine it's like okay cool it's energy bending it's ang we get to see ang as like and, and, he was. and then not to mention you get like this great moment of her like using the energy bending to uh you know return to bending to you know, at, at least we see Lynn, right? And we can assume other I'm people sure that lost their stuff. I'm sure she did it to everybody. I'm sure she went back to Republic City. She said, all right, people, line up. But but that, we'll talk about such a great moment. Like, well, one, Lynn losing her bending at, at the moment when she did defending that's, everybody. That's a very tragic moment. That that was super heartbreaking, especially because you of the type of bender that you saw that she was. Like, uh, you know, a spitting image of, of her mother being like a, a fantastic metal bender. Being a badass. Uh, uh, yeah, super, like, incredible. Like, strong, you know, independent, you know, female character just rising to the top, just like her mom was. Um, mm-hmm. Or actually already at the top. Like, she was the best. The best. Um, and, yeah, heartbreaking when she got it taken away. But I also felt, like, super fantastic when she got it back. Just the way she lifted those rocks, man. Awesome. Yeah. Super yeah, cool. It's, 
it's cool. I think um I think it's good. I think uh overall the series ends on a mo- pretty much, you know, a good note, you know, it's hope is restored again. They had to wrap this up pretty cleanly because for all they knew this was all they were going to get. Yeah. Um and yeah, I just think other than that, you know, plot wise, you know, there's there's a whole lot we could talk about, but a lot of it is just kind of like, you know, events of the episode. There's uh, some fun moments, fun fights. I'll, I'll tell you what I do. I want to. I I do kind of want to get into just my last two bits are about the some of the world building bits, sure. uh, specifically about the bending aspect that because we're in a new age and time, and now they've integrated bending into almost every facet of the world like mm-hmm. the fact that they use like the electricity firebending um to help provide power into manufacturing uh like uh, in all these different industries super cool the fact that we now have pro sports pro bending pro bending uh, is really cool that um, uh, fantastic way i also, also wanted to I, I wanted to touch what you just said about the whole like you know how they're using like you know the bending for um industry and stuff like how uh a lightning bending is now being used in um uh is is being used in like uh what do you call them power plants yeah uh, the metal bending is now used with the police force and i like that um i have heard from people who again know the series and know the lore a lot better than i do mm-hmm. uh have said that if you go back to the original series Lightning bending was one of those things that was really reserved for, for the royalty, you know, for yeah, for, for the important people, the big people of the world. So yeah. to see that over the course of seventy years, that skill was learned by the common folk, and it was yeah. Uh, in a way, you could say you could argue that it, it kind of made for you know a better change in society. Now that they were, it's, now, it's it was more definitely. accessible. Yeah, like, and it, that's, it really helped out. That's where I can excuse some of the, especially as you get later into the series, uh, some of the technological leaps that they make, um, because mm-hmm. you're like, okay, well, look, these are people who can generate electricity at their fingertips. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to rack my brain over how they came up with uh, certain, you know, machines and stuff so quickly when they can bend metal, you know, to their will and create lightning, you know, industry would build a lot faster in a world like that than it would in our world. Listen, how long did it take them to build the second Death Star? Uh, two years, I think. Exactly. So they can do anything. Um, right. So, uh, I mean, outside of, uh, of the... I mean that that aspect of the world building. I feel like the 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 final unsung hero of the entire show uh, is the music. Pabu. Oh, <laughs> well, Pabu, <laughs> also fantastic character. But yeah, the music's the music's incredible. Music is like an upgrade, not like an upgrade, but like it totally fits this this really great jazzy upbeat tune. Well, yeah, I was gonna say we get we there are two kind of like types of music in this series. Both work really well. The first mm-hmm. I think is our traditional kind of instrumentals kind of eastern uh eastern influenced instrumental pieces i think the one i uh mentioned in our notes is the 
the track Fresh Air, mm-hmm. which is kind of Cora's go-to theme, her, her musical motif. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's the one it's the one song in that series that whenever it happens, it, it, you know, you can feel it stir something up inside. It's, it's a great track. Um, but yes, yeah. The jazz, when we, when you get to Republic city, when you have these fun, like chase scenes or, um, uh, you know, or like kind of like comedic moments or even the fights, you know, you get these like, bombastic you know horns and and drums Dude, and well, stuff. yeah the drums where it's like dun, 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 dun. like oh yeah. man like way to it's, change the mood get me excited it totally fits you know because they're going for this like roaring 20s thing i think the first time it pops up is when i may be totally wrong it might pop up when she's first doing her practice uh with the white lotus but i want to say the first time you really hear that i, I think it's when is, she's running through uh, yeah, the city yeah. on top of naga after exactly. she gets chased out of the park i think and it is it is fantastic suddenly you're just like oh this is a completely different beast from the original avatar i i, I personally think it, it does a great <laughs> job of, i mean show overall establishes itself in in this season as as different enough from the series to kind of stand not i don't want to say stand alone because it, it does still sit on the back but it, it just it's super super well done yeah it's, really it's, well done it's fantastic for for all the nitpicking i've been making of it it's it really is an accomplishment i don't think it, it deserves it, it is the much. kind of follow-up i feel like that i wanted in 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 a follow-up to this kind of show i think it's you know? the type of follow-up that more more series and more franchises should try to do where you just tell a new original story Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one day we'll maybe talk about other franchises that had continuations after their original story and whether or not they were good decisions. But, but... kind of like Fargo, available now on FX. Watch season four. Oh Can't man, confirm I... the first episode was fantastic. The other two are available as of this recording. Can confirm the other two were also fantastic. Um, but yeah, I think. Uh, I think that's a that's a kind of thing I'd like to see more of. Just keep the world, keep the continuity, but give me something new. Give me a yeah. new story. Yeah. Um. I I agree. Uh. I don't know if oh they would ever consider doing another sequel to the Avatar series. Well, uh, if if they don't, I'm okay with what we got now because I feel I, like all. I think they might because um I know when they. When uh, Dante, uh, Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konietzko stepped back from uh, the Netflix series, they said, we're not done with the Avatar world, but ah. we're done with this project. Well, you know, thank God for them. Because <laughs> we're not done with this podcast, but I think we are done with this episode. Yes. And, and we will have uh, more Avatar for you lovely listeners uh, so thank you so much for stopping by and listening to this uh, edition of Script or Screen. We appreciate uh, your ears. Yes, this has been book one air of The Legend of Korra. Stay tuned uh, for the continuation of this specific series. My name is Christopher Kitchen. I'm Zach Strachman. Thank you for listening once again. You can find Script or Screen at Script or Screen on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, in YouTube, MySpace. Go to, what, MySpace. Uh, what is that other one that they used to Friendster. have? Friendster. 
Friendster? Oh, man. Um, Napster. Please visit uh, www.scriptorscreen.com to find out where you can listen to our show if you're looking for a new platform. Uh, If not, give us a follow. Like, subscribe, share with your friends. Comment. Um, uh, Tell us, you know, give us suggestions on what you think you would like to hear us talk about in future episodes. Also, do you like... What we had to say about Legend of Korra? Did you like what we had to say about the last Avatar Airbender? I didn't say that, right? Um, <laughs> Am I wrong for 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 butchering the name for, of that show like that? Am I wrong for for saying parts of this series weren't as good as the other series? Tell me how how wrong I am in the comments. Um, I think this outro has gone long enough, so I'm just going to say goodbye. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Thank you.